Thank you for your singing, everybody. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 24 tonight. That's Matthew 6. Let's pray before we, before we start. Father, we thank you that we can look at your word tonight. Thank you that it is free and open to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would enable me and enable all of our hearts to understand the truths of your word. And I pray that you would apply those truths to our hearts so that we will be different people. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage we're about to read comes from the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So before we actually look at chapter 6, I just want to take a moment or two to summarize Jesus' teaching in the sermon so we know kind of where we are. In this sermon that he preached, sitting on a mountain, Jesus declares the nature of the kingdom of God that he is bringing into the world. He shines the light of the kingdom this way and that. And in each area of life that he addresses, Jesus, Jesus shatters the expectations of his hearers and calls them to a, a new, a different, a deeper kind of living than what the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching them from the law. Now, it's not that Jesus came to get rid of the law. In fact, in chapter 5, if you look at verses 17 through 20, he addresses that issue. He says, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So verse 17 of chapter 5 says that Jesus is the great law fulfiller for us. He's kept the law of Moses for us perfectly. Every tiniest little part of it on our behalf. He's, he's crossed every T. He's dotted every I. And now that the king has appeared and has started to set up his new kingdom, King Jesus gives us the laws that go along with that new kingdom. And they seem much deeper than the old laws. In fact, they've been there all along. They're even older than Moses' laws. It's important to, to pause here and note that the laws of Jesus' kingdom do not contradict the laws of Moses. After all, God is the one who gave the Jews the laws of Moses. Rather, Jesus' teaching is in opposition to the faulty interpretation and the faulty application of Moses' law that the Pharisees practiced and taught. So the Pharisees say, paraphrasing Jesus here. Don't commit adultery. We're all on board with that, right? But Jesus says, yes, but don't even let your heart lust after somebody. The 
Pharisees say, don't murder. Again, correct. Jesus says, but your heart can be guilty of murder if you hate your brother. The Pharisees say, go ahead, exact justice on the one who's hurt you. Jesus says, don't resist somebody. The Pharisees say, it's okay to hate your enemy. Jesus says, love your enemy. The Pharisees say, make sure everybody sees how much you give and how well you pray. Jesus says, give inconspicuously. Pray humbly. Over and over again, he's just shattering our expectations of what a teacher would be saying. Most of all, the Pharisees say, you can gain God's favor by keeping Moses' law if you're as careful and righteous as we are. Jesus says, you're going to need better righteousness than that. Here, take mine. You can have righteousness apart from the law, as Paul writes. A better righteousness than the Pharisees can offer. A righteousness that can actually save. And that's what gets us entrance into Jesus' kingdom. It's those who believe the lies of the, that the Pharisees say, who will in the end say, like in chapter 7, at the end of the sermon, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? Why do you act like you don't recognize us? And God will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So that's just a quick overview of what Jesus is doing in these three chapters, five, six, and seven, in this sermon. Now, let's zoom in on chapter six on one particular part, one subject that he shines the light of the kingdom on, and that is money. Starting in verse 24 of chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O, little, o you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So starting back 
at verse 24. Let's walk through this. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus here claims an exclusive hold on our affections. He won't take second place to anything, particularly the pursuit of money. If you say that you follow Jesus, if you're a subject in his kingdom, your allegiance can be only to him. To serve money is to commit treason, if we're talking in terms of a kingdom. And let's not kid ourselves either. We are servants, aren't we? Servants to something or someone all the time. We're not, nor will we ever be, our own masters spiritually. We weren't created that way. Our hearts are always looking for something after which to long, something to pursue and to to latch onto and to find our identity in. For some people, it's a job. Others hate their job and they live for the weekends or vacation. Some people live for the pleasures of food, others for the pleasures of sex, some for power, others for fame. And some, many, have as their God the pursuit of wealth. Indeed, the pursuit of wealth is tied up in a lot of the previous sinful pursuits that I just mentioned as a means to those things or as a part of them. As Paul wrote to Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice that Paul says that it's the love of money that gives rise to so many other forms of evil. Not money itself. We all need money to function, don't we? We all got to go to the grocery store. Got to have money to do that. We need to work in order to make money to buy our necessities of life. So getting rid of money or work isn't going to solve our problems, is it? In fact, elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that if we're too lazy to work, we shouldn't be eating. We're also supposed to be good managers of our money. The Bible has lots to say about how to manage the things that God has given you. So God doesn't expect us to ignore what is or isn't in our bank account. He expects us not to worry about it. Big difference. That money isn't a dirty thing. Neither are all the pursuits that I mentioned early, earlier. The problem isn't the thing itself. It's what we make of it. Our dark and sinful hearts latch onto these good things that God made and twist them into things that they weren't ever meant to be. Gods. In the end, our puny little gods can't stand up under the weight of of our trust that we put upon them. They will, all of them, eventually just crumble, taking with them the hopes and the dreams that we built on them. Haven't we all seen this before in our own lives and in other people? Nobody and nothing is strong enough to fully bear the, tr- the load of our trust except the one who designed us to trust him from the beginning. And that's Jesus. Jesus. Take one more look at verse 24. Jesus is telling us that not only can you not trust money instead of Jesus, you can't trust money alongside of Jesus either. Jesus says belief in him is a 
two-handed affair. You can't hold on for dear life to Jesus and hold on for dear life to money, too. It's not going to work. It's an either-or proposition. You have to make the choice. You're going to trust God or money. Which do you trust to save you from your sin? Whom will you trust to provide for all of your other needs? Jesus shows us what our answer should be in the next verse, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of course we are more valuable to God than small birds. If God takes care of these little tiny sparrows, surely he's going to take care of his children. So don't worry. God will provide your food and your clothing. Jesus goes on to reiterate this point. Verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, by worrying about it, can add a single hour to his span of life? Or some translations have a single bit to your height. Either way, just totally not, not able to be done. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus here does what he always does so well. He turns our attention from from what we consider to be the matter at hand. Money, obtaining food and clothing and buying stuff and getting getting living stuff. And on to what he knows to be the true problem. Anxiety. Worry. He's telling us that worrying about our physical needs will it, it, it how they'll be met, it reveals the state of our heart. It reveals that we aren't trusting God, but rather we're trusting something else. And since we know that often those something else's that we're trusting in will let us down and not give us what we need, we become filled with worry, naturally. Jesus says it's a matter of faith, O ye of little faith. Faith that God really does care about his children. Faith that God is as good as he says he is. Jesus says here that the Gentiles are characterized by worrying about and seeking after these things. Now that's kind of a strange thing to our ears today. Because most of us, maybe all of us, are Gentiles in this room. Um, Jesus, at this time, was speaking mostly, if not exclusively, to Jews. Because that's who he was sent to first. He was not using the word Gentile just as non-Jews. He was using it um, to describe those not in the family of God. Because at that time there were very few Gentiles in the family of God. 
very few non-Jews who had entered into the family. Of course, that ratio would be turned on its head in the coming decades, but that's the way Jesus uses this word right here to signify those people who don't know God. So those people are the ones that seek after these things. Right after he characterizes unbelievers as being the ones who pursue money and the things it can buy, Jesus gives us some really comforting words. He says, Don't be anxious about these things. After all, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. Again here, he tells us the problem isn't with the money or with the food or with the clothing, per se, but with the heart attitude that causes us to distrust that God will provide them for us as he sees fit. Our Father knows what we need. And what loving Father would ever deny his children what they need? Some earthly fathers may sometimes not be able to provide what their kids need from time to time, but our Father is the one who owns everything. He's rich. There's nothing that's too hard for him to provide or something that he doesn't already have in his warehouse ready to ship out. Jesus expands on this a little bit more in chapter 7. If you want to look at that briefly, verse 7 of chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? That's stupid, isn't it? We would never do that. That would be cruel and, and dumb. If you then, who are evil, and we are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Our Father happily and easily meets our needs. All he wants us to do is ask him. By asking him, we show that we are trusting him to provide for us and not ourselves or something else. He's not going to be cruel in his response. He delights in giving us good things. If, if we as earthly and sinful parents can give good things to our kids, how much better will the gifts we receive from our perfectly loving, holy, all-wise Heavenly Father be. So, as God's children, I just want to take a couple of minutes to reflect on some of the good gifts that God has given us. It's true that everything we have comes from God. But sometimes he shows us, especially, that he cares for us and can provide even in difficult circumstances. When Jessica and I were about to get married, um, we, you know, we knew she had a job here. wasn't all that much money. I was going to be a student. We were going to move to Cincinnati. Neither of us was from around here. And the circumstances worked out that she was here visiting her new job, and she had one day to find us an apartment never been to Cincinnati before one day to find an apartment on not a very big budget and she's driving around with her new boss visiting this place and that place that we'd found online 
man, that place is just not going to work for us. Mm, nope, nope. Not going to work for us either. Too far out, too, too close to UC. I was a student at UC. She worked up in Middletown. We had one car, which she was going to use. So we had a lot of difficult boxes to check for the right place. All day long, searching, 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 one place after another just does not work out. And then finally, they just drive past this one place at the end of the day, and they're like, well, why don't we just walk in there and see what that's like? And lo and behold, it's right at the end of the bus line, and I can take the bus down to UC, and she's got a pretty decent commute up to Middletown, and it's exactly the right price and exactly the right place. We had no idea it existed, had never seen it before in our online research. Just the Lord dropped it in our laps, and there it was. Um, we were so thankful. And even when there are no fireworks, even when we're not in a dire situation, when we're getting our paycheck regular two times a month, it's God who's providing that, isn't it? Groceries on the table because God gave them to us. Thank you, everybody. So before we finish our text at the end of chapter 6, I just want to add another assurance of God's loving favor toward us and his provision. Jesus himself. As we often hear court remind us from Romans 8, verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God gave us Jesus, his own son, the ultimate gift, what would ever make us suspect that he would withhold anything else that's good from us? Truly, our God is a good father. So, to close out our text here in chapter 6, Jesus has been telling us not to be anxious about material things, not to seek after them like those who don't know God but rather in verse 33 seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things all these material things that you need will be added to you therefore don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself sufficient for the day is its own trouble pursue God's kingdom seek to see Jesus' reign expand in your life and in the lives of the people around you and make that your focus when you go to work and leave the amount of your paycheck up to him seek to expand the borders of King Jesus' territory and pursue the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness that the Pharisees can offer Jesus' own righteousness that he gives us free of charge then when you come to the end of the month and that bill is sitting there in front of you with less in your bank account than you would like. Trust your loving Father to provide a way to pay it. After all, when you ask for real money, he's not going to give you monopoly currency, is he? He's in the business of lavishing love and good gifts on his children. So stop worrying. Start asking. 
and it will be given to you. Let's pray. Father, you're such a generous and loving Father. We know that sometimes you send us through difficult times to strengthen our faith, times when we don't know where the next payment is going to come from, where we're going to be able to pay the next bill from, where the next car is going to come from, or how the the college loan is going to get paid. Sometimes you take us through periods of joblessness or lots of medical debt. Help us to trust you and to remember that even in those dark and difficult times, you are our loving Father and you will provide for our needs. You've never not provided, not even once. Lord, help us to have hearts to ask and that expect you as a good Father to provide for us. In Jesus' name.